Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles today and turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7. Uh, this is one of the great promises of Christmas that we find in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, when you pastor for 46 years and you have to come up with new Christmas sermons, I mean, Luke 2, Matthew 1, after a while it gets a little tough. So several years ago, I started going through the entire Old Testament, finding every promise I could about Christmas. And so I want to do this one today uh, along our theme of love because in it is a very unbelievable demonstration of how much God loves each and every one of us by what he did. Now, this is one of the great miracles in the Old Testament takes place here, and you're not even aware of it. Do you ever think about the timeline, the precision of when God plans something, how it falls into place? Because his timing is impeccable. I mean, we say that all the time, but I'm not certain we ever realize how on time everything he does is. So I'll, I'll start with some questions. How many generations from Adam to Noah? Ten generations. From Noah to Abraham... How many generations? Ten. Nation of Israel is not even formed. Twenty generations have lived on the face of the earth. We have had the flood and we've had the Tower of Babel take place. Each after ten generations. It is at Abraham now that the promise is starting, the fulfillment that God was going to bring to the Jewish people, a Messiah one day, and it's given to Abraham. So from Abraham to David, how many generations? No, 14. <laughs> Always throw people off at that. 14. How many generations from David to the deportation of the Jews out of Jerusalem? 14, correct. From the deportation to the coming of the Messiah, how many generations? 14. It's 42 when you add that to, to the nation of Israel. 42 generations and the Messiah is on the ground. Won't get into it today, but you find that number 42 in Revelations and times, time and half the times and stuff like that. 42 months. See, when God does something, it's right on target. And those generations also had to do with the kings of Judah. Literally, each one of those kings. And today we're going to look at one of those kings. And if that line of kings from David on to the Messiah had ever been stopped, then we would not have the fulfillment which God had promised all the way to Abraham. I'm always amazed that God works on a time schedule that is stunning. I don't know why, because over and over I have seen that happen. I had lunch with my uh, director of my pregnancy center. Uh, she retired just ahead of me. She lives in Granbury, her and her husband and another couple that I was their pastor for years. We all meet once a month and between Granbury and Fort Worth to have lunch together and so we were talking through all that had happened in the past amazing things I may have already said this but we had a day where we just couldn't make payroll so we just started praying a check was in the mail payroll was 20,000 to meet all the needs that we had in our clinic at the time and we payroll was the next day and when she opened the mail later that afternoon there was a 20,000 exactly, and we made payroll. I could tell stories after stories like that. Well, this is one of the stories now of precision, of God's timing, and how things work. So, also, I want to do another thing with this Christmas story. 
This will be my first Christmas without my father and my father-in-law. We have celebrated 69 Christmases with them. Now, I don't remember some of those when I'm the littlest, but I remember all since those days as I began to know what was going on. And so around our Christmas table this year, Jimmy will not be there and my dad, Jerry Branson, will not be there. Our, our mother, our, both our, Jan's mother and my mother have gone on many years ago, but that'll be the end of it. In fact, I told her the other day, I am now the oldest Branson on the face of the earth. Well, there are others, probably families with that name, but in my family, I'm the oldest. And they went, oh, no, I'm not. My wife's nine months older. I said, you're the oldest, Branson. <laughs> it was cold that night at the house. I'll just say that. <laughs> so Christmas sometimes can be sad, and it can be difficult. Loss of loved ones, other situations develop. That what, this is supposed to be a magical time of the year. It's not always that magical. I don't know if you realize it, and this is what we're going to see today. The Christmas story comes in the worst possible moment when the promise is given. In the darkest of times, God told us of the coming of this baby. It's because that's when you've got to realize, I'm going to say it at the very end of the sermon, it's at the darkest moments that light shines the brightest. It is at the darkest moments that light will shine the brightest. So let me give you a little background this vision of Isaiah takes place, this prophecy that he gives. And he preached during four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He preached during eight kings of Israel as they were going to their collapse. And the days in which this message is given are days of evil. And the leadership of both Israel and Judah are evil. This is bad days. These are some of the worst days experienced. Israel is going to collapse. Judah will come back a little bit before it's over with. But during this time, sacrificing of children is now part of the landscape. I've been in Jerusalem. I've seen where they would do that in that valley. We, we spent some time in there on one of our tours that we went through there. But it's now the sacrificing of children is, is part of the, of the lifestyle. Immorality has reached an all-time level in which Amos, the prophet Amos, will say this. That a father and a son would share the same woman. So we've heard a lot of horrible stories even in our mix of what we have here in America today. But that's how bad things had gotten during that day. It is says in Amos that the lies were the common language of the people. People no longer knew how to speak truth. Kind of where we are today. You speak what you think is truth. I speak what truth. We really don't want to hear what anybody else has to say. Really want to know what's right and wrong. Whatever we feel. It had gotten to that point. And he said, I sent, Amos says this, I sent plagues among you four times and you never listened to a word I said. See, this was a bad time frame with a bad leaders. In fact, Amos is going to say that the people of this day do not even know what is right anymore. So God gave them a famine. They didn't return. He withheld rain, but they do not return. He sent wind, mildew, and insects to destroy their farms, wiped them out, but they did not return. And then he sent a pandemic. Literally, that's what it means. He sent a pandemic among them, just like he did in Egypt, and they did not return. So Amos is preaching also during this time. He's going to say, prepare to meet your God to the people. Because they would not listen anymore. And if you try to speak out during these days to that which is good and righteous, Amos would tell you 
They're going to hate you who reprove in the gate, and they abhor anyone who speaks with integrity. See, this day is bad. It's gotten to a level. I've been on, I, I use uh, WhatsApp to communicate into Cuba all the time. I've been doing that this week. A friend of mine sent me a picture of, of Pinar del Rio, the western part of the island. It's one of the major cities. And at nighttime, if you're in Cuba at nighttime, the streets are filled with people walking around late at night because they have no cars. So if you go anywhere at nighttime, you walk. And that's how everybody gets around in Cuba. The streets are empty. It's a stunning picture of Pinar. I've been in Pinar. I've preached there. It is empty. There's nobody on the streets. Because as soon as the sun begins to set in Cuba, as of this day, and will happen this night, everybody locks in their home as tight as a drum. And they will not come out till the sun is up the next morning because it has become so dangerous, so difficult, and the suffering has become so intense. And the believers are struggling right now. And my friend said, pray for us. It's the scariest days we've ever encountered. Cuba's facing an Amos and Isaiah day. And those happen sometimes. So what does God say in the midst of all of that? Well, today what I want you to do is do like I'm used to doing. I want you to stand with me as I read God's Word. Everybody get your Bibles. I want you to look at it. And I'm going to read starting Isaiah 7, verse 10 through 16. Verse 14, you'll know exactly when I get there what that verse is all about. But here's what it says. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask for yourself a sign from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as the sky. Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will now try the patience of God as well? Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He'll eat curves and honey at the time. He'll know enough to refuse evil and choose good. But before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Father, speak to us today of this Christmas story. Help us to see where this promise came from and the impact and influence it should have on each and every one of us in this room as we gather with our families this next weekend to be able to celebrate this amazing story. We thank you we could gather today and to be able to sing and uplift these uh, great hymns and songs that we can be able to praise you. But Father, help us to grasp this because it will strengthen us when we praise you. Now watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So now we've got to do a little background what's happening when this, this is given. This isn't just something that's thrown out there. Something is taking place. So what has happened is two kings are attacking Jerusalem. They are Rezin, who is the king of Syria, and Pekah, who is the king of Israel. Literally, Judah is a small all around there, the, the city of Jerusalem. This is all of Syria. It is all of the northern part, which is a lot of Israel, has come against the city. And they're planning in verse 5 to do evil of this passage. In chapter 7, they're planning evil against Judah. They are, in fact, what makes this an interesting time frame is the Bible says that this group of warriors coming in were consumed with a fierce anger against Judah. This isn't just people who are angry. These are people who are fiercely anger. A few years ago at my church, I had the privilege to have speak to the men of my church, the head 
of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. We were not even told his name. I had to eventually figure it out another way. He was not allowed to give away anything. We couldn't have a camera. You couldn't have your phone in the, in the auditorium that day because no pictures could be made of him. And as we were talking that day and listening to him speak, one of the things that he said was, you will never take us back to Auschwitz again. He said it with a steel in his voice I've never heard in any man or warrior in my life. And I've been privileged to know a few of these guys. And what he was saying was the hatred towards the nation of Israel is so intense that they have to be on guard 24-7 in all that they do. This is what's happening right now to Judah. The hatred was intense and they want to take this city and just destroy it. In fact, they were going to terrorize it in verse 6. And that word terrorize in the Hebrew means to feel a loathing and abhorrence. And it's a sickening dread that will come upon the people. It said in verse 6, they will breach the walls. They will conquer the people with terror and death. Now, they're not going to do this, but that's what they want to do. They want to destroy it. There's such a hatred there. So the danger of death and destruction are so real, the people are scared to death. Verse 14, they're deeply frightened. In fact, it'll say in verse 2, their hearts shook as the trees of the forest shake with the winds. You know, I grew up in East Texas, in the woods of East Texas. I know what it's like when the wind comes through the deep forest and listen to those trees as they go. Their hearts, king and people, are in that kind of fear of what's about to unfold on them. And it's at that moment. See, a lot of times we just think this is a Christmas story. Somebody made some statement. It is at this moment that Isaiah speaks this amazing prophecy. Again, as I said earlier, and I'll say at the end, during the darkest moments, the light will shine the brightest. In the darkest moments and when God speaks truths that he wants people to know. And at this moment, that's what's going to unfold. And you got to know something. He speaks it to Ahaz. Ahaz is not a good man. Ahaz is one of the worst kings Judah will ever have. He never, as scripture said, he didn't do right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. So Ahab and Jezebel, he would have followed their steps. He sacrificed his own son by fire. He killed his own son. But here's what God's word to him was. And I think this isn't my message today, but this is a good word for every one of us this day in verse 4. He tells him, I want you to take care. I want you to watch. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to watch what's going on. I want you to be calm, which is peace. And it's an imperative. He commands him, I want you to calm your heart down. I want you to have no fear, which is imperfect tense in the Hebrew. It means continuous action, past time. I want you to be able to live your life. There's absolutely no fear. And I do not want you to be faint-hearted. I don't want you to be soft. You're going to need to be strong during these moments with the threats that's coming against you and coming against your nation. And here's the amazing promise. It's in verse 7. The reason for no fear is why he's telling me this, because he gives him a promise. And look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. So what's he telling him? You have two kings who want to completely destroy you. Can't happen. I will not, God's saying, I will not let this happen to you. Ahaz does not deserve this promise. He is not a good man. God's not given the promise just to him. He's given it to the entire nation of Israel. 
And here's what you need to know. In verse 6, it says this. The two kings intended to set up the son of Tobiel as king in Judah. So what does that mean? I mean, it just seems like a verse. You read it and go on. Don't think much about it. If he is set up as king, what happens to the line of Messiah? It's gone. It's gone. This man would have died. When they kill the king, they kill his kids. They kill everybody else. That's the way history was during those days. They intended to, the evil world intended to destroy the line of Messiah. They wouldn't even understood that that's what a part was going on. But God says it cannot happen. You know, at the beginning I said what? 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. You can't shake God's providence. What God promises, he always does. And he does it on his perfect time schedule. See, the, the line of the Messiah was on the verge of extinction if this battle, which is insignificant to us today as we sit here in, in Greenville, but if that moment, this is one of the most decisive moments in history. So you've got to know something. When God speaks, we can know that it's true. And we can have confidence in what he says. I think if you and I, that's a simple statement made by a preacher that you really still don't know that much about me yet. But you know how important that is, that we take God at his word. It what gives us the strength to be able to live our lives. It what helps us to be able to walk each day, no matter what we're facing. Isaiah would have fully understood that. We sit in church, we go, yes, I believe in God's word, believe in God's word. But you get in a tight situation in life, and suddenly panic sets in, frustration, anger, whatever it might be, jumps in. And in reality, you should not even be there. Why? Because you have promises of God. You have promises in Hebrews 13. It says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know what the context of that statement is? With money. So you're tight on money. You need more money. You need this or you need that. He said, when it comes to that, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has told us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The most difficult, horrendous situation that might unfold within your life. You're not separated from the love of God. Why? Because he said that. And so what he's doing at this moment is he's making a statement of something that's going to happen eight centuries later. And he's going to say in Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagle. I've referenced that before. I reference it again. Why? That's eight centuries before. What are we waiting on? We're waiting on the fulfillment of what he says in Isaiah 7. Scripture is very clear about that in the 40th chapter of Isaiah. So we live right now here in America in days of turmoil and, I think, danger. One of my friends gave me a Christmas present, and I've already read it. He gave me a book Friday, sat down and read the whole thing. It's by Jim Dennison called The Coming Tsunami, in which he's already saying what I was saying in 2013. So we live in tough times. But we have the same advice given to us that was given to King Ahaz. And that is the promise of Jesus. Guys, do you, do you realize how, I, I did this last week and it was intentional, but do you realize how blessed you are? You're the most blessed person in all the world, each and every one of you who are in Christ, who sit out here in front of me this day. And that's not a preacher just making an observation. He's stating what God's word said. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. So when life doesn't go well, 
when a tragedy befalls, like I shared a couple weeks ago, but happened to our family years ago. Or when I stood with my dad or sat next to him as he breathed his last. You want to know something? In the difficult moments that that is, I am still the most blessed person in all the world because those circumstances doesn't change what God has said about each and every one of us who are in Christ Jesus. And so in the midst of this time of war, evil, fear, and danger, here comes the Christmas story in all of its glory. So here's what happens. God tells Ahaz to ask for a sign from the Lord your, your God. Of course, he sounds religious. I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to do anything like that. Well, we already know he's not a religious man at all. This had nothing to do with faith. He, he, he just doesn't want to react. And Ahaz, again, is a very evil man. In fact, you may not realize this, but he's the one who brought this down, began to start the downfall of Judah. He pulled the lack of restraint because of his leadership, the people lack of restraint when he came to doing that which is good and right. And they became very unfaithful to the Lord during his days. It was during this time that he lost 120,000 soldiers were killed in a battle because of this poor leadership. 120. We have not lost that many soldiers in Korea, Vietnam, Bosnia, Afghanistan, or Iraq. He lost, in a short time frame, 120,000. He lost 200,000 of women and children who were carted away in war, never to be seen again. He lost 320,000 from basically the city of Jerusalem during his days. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple during these days. He set up altars on every street corner so they wouldn't have to go to the temple. It's to this man that the Christmas story promise is given. And here's the promise. And this is what we're celebrating today. We're not celebrating how horrible it was back then those times happen all throughout life but we're celebrating is the promise and in verse 40 it says the virgin will be with child Mary said to the angel how can all this happen I'm a virgin the angel said to her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and for that reason the Holy Spirit the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God you and I don't have to grasp nor understand this or understand the scientific nature behind all of this, how this could even happen. But it happened just like it was promised. In a small little spot in Israel, outside of Jerusalem, in a little town called Bethlehem. I've been in Bethlehem. Some of you have too. I've been in the shepherd fields. It's amazing to do. The darkness at nighttime there is as dark as any place I've ever been in life. And I, I don't know what it was like that night. But it was at that moment that this young lady had this baby. You, you want timing again? You want a stunning thing of timing? How do you get a woman who's that pregnant to have to leave Nazareth to go down to Bethlehem? Those of you who've been to Israel know that is one of the most difficult journeys. It's, down, it's, it's very fraught with danger and everything else. How do you get a king, a Caesar, in Rome to make a decree you want timing to move the heart of Caesar because you got to know something during those days when he says I want a census done of the entire world he can't text that out he can't email that out to all the areas men had to get on horses and other ways and begin to run and to move it took time to make that happen and it all happened in such a way that Mary makes it to Bethlehem at the right moment See, God not only was keeping the generations going one, two, three, four, five. Okay, 
It's time now. We're at number 14. It's time for Jesus to be born. But he's moving the heart of the most powerful man in the world to make it a, a call, a political call, that will put Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. That's stunning. It's stunning. But it was fulfillment of what he said here to Isaiah. But not only will you uh, virgin give birth, but she will bear a son. And you know the Christmas story. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this isn't just a son. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And she will call his name Emmanuel. See, in the darkest of moments, God says this, I will be with you. It is a dark moment when Jesus is born, just like it was during Ahaz's day, with the rule of the Roman Empire over Israel and with all that was going on. It was in the darkest moments that Jesus was born. But all along, other prophecies are being fulfilled, like Micah, Bethlehem, Epaphra, too little to be among the clans. For you, one will go forth to me to be ruler in Israel. Therefore, he will give them up at that time when she who is in labor has born a child. See, God is making promises to each and every one of us. Now, my question to you today is simply this. Do you believe it? See, I think this is the greatest story we could ever be given to us this day. You know, I grew up in church. My mom had me in church when I was five days old. Stuck me in the nursery. We went every time the church doors opened my entire life. I was there on Sunday mornings. We did Sunday nights. Uh, we did Wednesday nights. We did, they did choir practice. They taught Sunday school. My dad was a deacon. We, every time, and we had two-week Bible schools. Some of you would die if we had two-week Bible schools. We had two-week two week long revival twice a year. Everything we did revolved around church. And I was not a bad kid. I wasn't a real good kid. But I was there. I would sit up in the balcony as far back as I could get back there with the rest of the youth. That's where we all sat at the First Baptist Church of Orange. And we would sit up there so we could talk. And we could act up. And Dr. Waters, who pastored there 30 years, he was good, but he didn't have anything really to say to me. And so I just went to church. So I know what it is to go to church. So when I graduated high school from Little Cypress in 1971, my dad said, son, I want you to go to the University of Texas. I, I, I didn't even think about it. I was going to want to go to Stephen F. Austin because that's where all my friends in high school were going, but he wanted me to go to Texas. And so I went to UT and uh, lived in the football dorm, even though I didn't play football, so I got to be around all the football players. My dad got me a job at the Capitol, and I got to work there at the Capitol. I joined Hyde Park Baptist and never went again, but I knew if I joined it, they'd send my letter to my church and it'd be read in a business meeting that I had joined a church and my mom and dad go, oh, good. He finally got him a church. I say all that because all this growing up to the age of 20 was just doing it because it was habit and what I did. I didn't believe any of this stuff. 
I could tell you the stories as well as anybody else could because I grew up in church and heard them over and over and over. But in 1974, a friend of mine who we've stayed close all these years, he lives up in Vermont, I live down here now, and so he shared with me one day the gospel, made me mad. I know this church stuff, I've done it all my life. Don't need you telling me any of the church stuff. I go, I'm here at church camp, that's where we were at the time, Gloria, New Mexico. But he went in and shared the gospel with me anyway. I will tell you that the next night I was just sitting there and all of a sudden it clicked. I'm not the smartest kid in all the world, but that day it just made sense. Since August the 13th in 1974, I made a commitment that night and I followed it ever since. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of him no matter what. I deeply believe these truths. That's why I committed 46 years of my life to doing that. That's why I'm still doing it in retirement. It is more than just a story. It's more than just lighting a few candles. It is God entering into the history of this world and saying, I love you and you need help. You need a savior. You need a Christ. You need a Lord. And I'm coming. And what I want to challenge you on this Christmas is that this be more than just a celebration time. Which it is. It is a celebration time to sing it. Y'all made my day today singing Oh Holy Night. It's not Christmas unless somebody sings Oh Holy Night. And so it's the first time I've heard it this, this year uh, in a church service of any kind. I want it to be, whether it's going to be a good Christmas or a difficult Christmas, let the light shine brightly to you. This little baby that was promised eight centuries before appears in Bethlehem on Christmas morn. And he came so that you might have life. That's why we sing. We don't sing because it's just part of church. We sing. In fact, you know what singing is? It's evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God. People who don't sing have no joy in their heart. But when you've been filled with the Spirit of God, Ephesians 5 tells us this. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you sing. You lift your voice in praise because you truly understand all of this. I mean, we should be the most motivated people in all the world that we get up, no matter what's going on in the world. We're going to walk in goodness, righteousness, justice. Why? Because we know the one who sits on the throne. And when we sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem, we sing it with a passion because we love those truths. When we sing away in the manger, we'll sing it from the depths of our heart. Why? Because we love the truth that that song implies. And when we sing Silent Night, we'll stop in quiet reflection on that we get to be a part of this most amazing story. You don't have to fear because Emmanuel has come and God is with you. I close simply with this. Psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I've seen the shadow of death. It's literally a place in Israel. An IDF soldier took me up on an installation on a mountain, and we were looking down on Jericho Road, and the sun was setting, and he says, that's the shadow of death. You see it setting there. That will become the most dangerous place in all the world tonight. Even today, it's still not safe on that road at night. 
the psalmist learned a long time ago. We don't have to fear. We can live with confidence because God is with us. His rod and his staff are to take care of us. I hope and pray on this Christmas season you live fully that way because you deeply believe in this amazing story that Isaiah gave at the darkest moments and may it shine the brightest ever in your life as you celebrate Christmas this season. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to be able to study your word. And Father, I just pray that you'll watch over and bless this church in a very special way. That in the days ahead, that all that we do will come because of our deep and abiding faith in the Lord Jesus. And that we will hold to that tightly. Not just something that we've done because that's how we've always done. It's a part of our life. It's part of our traditions of going to church. But we're here because we believe. We have confidence and faith in you. And we want to hear from you. And we want to know you. And we want to walk with you. So, Father, I pray that during this time you will strengthen the hearts of each and every one that's in this room. That you'll deepen their faith in Christ. That the passions of what it is to walk with Jesus will be evident in all that they do and say. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.